0: Wistful Thinking is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For more podcasts about movies and nostalgia, visit cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me.
1: Welcome to Wistful Thinking, a podcast where we revisit pop culture from our youth to see if it's still as good all grown up. I'm Cara Gale O'Regan. With me is my co-host Jordan Pollen clark Hey. And today's episode is a continuation of Matthew Lillard Month, Uh, which auto-corrected to Matthew Billiard month in my notes, so (laughs) that's fun. Um, And we will be talking about the 1998 cult classic and love letter to punk rock, James Marandino's SLC Punk. Jordan, how excited are you?
0: I didn't like it. (gasps) Oh, no! I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I didn't not like it. Yeah. But there are just so many holes in it where yeah. it could be so much better than it was than it actually is like I feel like it scratches the surface of so many themes that are really fascinating and not often represented in movies mm-hmm. and it just doesn't go deep enough yeah. well
1: because it doesn't really go deep deep on anything other than realizing that one is a sellout and a poser (laughs) which this is uh, a recurring theme on this podcast because uh Wayne's World is all about you know struggling with selling out and this movie is all about that and I feel like a few other ones that we've done although I can't quite put my finger on them right now
0: Well, I think most movies in some way or another are about, because they're often about, like, the lead character's transformation into Mm -hmm. something else. Yeah. And, like, often one has to grapple with, like, how this new person and how this old person can kind of exist and what that means. And so I feel like that, I don't know, can be a theme of selling out. Sure.
1: Well, the movie is listed as having come out in 1998, because it premiered at some German film festival, like, in late 1998. No, it, but it made its Sundance, like... didn't it? It did, but not until January of 1999. So, it made its American debut at Sundance, mm. and that's why it's listed as 98. Um, And then it got uh, released in theaters on April 16th, 1999, which... Is that your birthday or is your birthday the day before mine cuz I'm on the 15th. And My I birthday the day before yours. Okay. So we don't actually neither one of us shares a birthday with this movie, but almost. <laughs> uh what were you doing on your birthday in 1999?
0: Um, uh, I was turning 13 in 1999. So that was 8th grade. Was that, is that 8th grade or 7th grade? No, that's 8th grade. No, that's 7th grade. Yeah, I, I don't
1: know. I have most of that part of my life uh, blocked out of my memory, so...
0: I do, well... I mean, like, I could tell you who I was friends with then, but I, gosh, I don't know what we did. Yeah. That was, like, I think, like, that was still... Like, that was, like, the tail end of the phase um, of the group of friends... That's spelled out... What is that called when you spell something out? With an the, the first letters? A what? Acronym? Yeah. That was like the tail end of the group of friends that I had an acronym with. <laughs> that I've told you about before. Yeah. Um. So I would have been with them, probably. Yeah. It wasn't like my rebellious when- time yet. That was the next year.
1: Oh, okay. When- and when did you first see... This movie, do you think?
0: I don't know. Probably a couple years after that. Mm-hmm. Like, probably in, like, 8th grade or ninth grade. Yeah. I don't know. When did you first see it? Uh, probably around the same time. 8th
1: grade, I think. Which would have been... Who knows? 1999? 2000? Something like that. Um... Something that I noticed when I rewatched this today, because I only just watched it like last month and I rewatched it today, and I saw in the credits that it was executive produced by Jan de Bont, and I was like, hey, wait a minute. I know that name. And that's the guy who directed Speed and Speed 2.
0: <laughs> isn't, isn't that weird? <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I don't think anything's weird in Hollywood.
1: Oh, no, that's fair. I just, i i a little bit feel like, how did this movie get made at all? Um, so, it's just weird that a guy who is known for these, like, big action movies, you know, would executive produce something like this. But, I don't know. Talk, talk to me
0: more about this movie. <laughs> Tell you more? Okay. Um, well, so, so, SLC Punk is set in Salt Lake City. It follows two uh, punks, Steve-O and Heroine Bob. Uh, Heroine Bob, whose name I couldn't remember, <laughs> which is very silly. His name's Heroin Bob. Um, they are, they've just graduated college. They are kind of on purpose, like floating through life, not doing anything because mm-hmm. that's what they think they believe in. Mm-hmm. Although they're not. They're not finding a lot of happiness in it, but that's also what they think they believe in. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're, you know, just like drinking and like partying, like going to punk rock shows and like punching each other and stuff. (laughs) Um, (laughs) As you do. um, It's kind of a movie about them getting kind of tired of that and moving on to the next phase of their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's becoming a page tale. Yeah, which is kind of what happens at the end of the movie. Um, There's So here's what this movie is good at, I think. Um, Like I said, I think it doesn't go deep enough into any of this, but it does try really hard to build a cast of, like, kind of complex characters with, like, pretty complex and, like, sad backstories. Yeah. Um, Like, they're all like, floating around each other, um, trying to be all tough, but they all actually have pretty sad lives. hmm Um, and I think that's what it's good at. Like, so there's steve who's the main character. That's Matthew Lillard's character. He, he's, his life is actually probably the best. He's kind of just, like, a rich kid who's rebelling against his, like, really preppy parents. Um, and he's, like, super smart and is kind of able to use that to talk his way out of or into almost <laughs> anything. Um, and that includes talking himself into believing that this is the right choice for him, even though you can really see that it's maybe not, in some ways, making him very happy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of, like, his way of dealing with his anger. Uh but it starts to, like, work less and less for him and his life. Um, so that's that's o And then there's Heroin Bob, who's his best friend. And they actually have, like, a really incredible friendship. Um, which is one of the things I was referring to when I said that this movie shows something that, like, not a lot of movies show, maybe. Like, they have a really, really strong, loving male friendship.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: which, like, and I even- guess we do see it, in movies but i don't know this one feels special this friendship yeah
1: and even St- uh Steve-O's relationship with his father is very different than
0: right that's so that, that yeah
1: that kind of dynamic when it's portrayed on screen which is usually yeah, like a purely true. antagonistic one whereas like they both actually like really like and respect each other and enjoy each other's company because while because, also because
0: they're both really smart yes um and, like and they're totally both ultimately like other for the same. Yeah. yeah.
1: Because his father, like you see the, them have a few conversations about, uh, his father who I guess was a hippie and like went to Woodstock and did his whole anti-establishment thing. And then seeing his son kind of do the same thing. It's interesting, mm-hmm. but they get along really well, which I think is really uncharacteristic of that mm-hmm. kind of how we see, uh, father-son relationships on screen
0: yeah um and right so then there's heroin bob whose life's not as good as steve-o's life or you know his upbringing was not as good his father is mentally ill he's an alcoholic uh which they kind of allude to and then we finally learn in like what i think is the saddest scene of the movie besides the scene where heroin bob dies spoiler heroin bob dies um, but when they go to his dad's house. Yeah, it's um, really upsetting. He brings. He, he tries to visit his father for his birthday, and he brings him a present. It's all wrapped up and everything, and Steve O goes with him. Um, and his dad just doesn't even recognize him, and he tries to shoot them. He essentially tries to murder them. Yeah. Um, and that's and they, the first time know, that
1: Steve O has ever met his father or really like heard anything about him and yeah he says it's like one of those one of those uh moments when like suddenly you understand your your friend that you've known for so long and and know so well you understand them like so much more
0: and i i think that's like maybe like i would like the so when they're sitting in the car together after after that happens they're kind of not talking for a second and then and then bob apologizes and steve was like no man, like I'm sorry, like you don't have to apologize for that like that that part feels like genuine and like emotional in a way that I wish the rest of the movie felt like yeah it it hits it every once in a while, but not not as well as as that part. Yeah. um, so that's Hair and Bob. he um, also
1: has this amazing pair of cobalt blue Doc Martin combat boots that i want a pair of very badly and i love that because steve-o has this like bright blue hair and then heroine bob has these bright blue boots and so when they stand next to each other they're like inverted i don't know i appreciated that this is a very blue movie which is true it is interesting because Matthew Lillard's character Steve-O was originally supposed to just have bleached blonde hair but uh, the bleach job like burned his scalp so badly they had to cover it and that's why they dyed his hair blue And I
0: oh it's can't... so much better blue
1: yeah and I can't imagine this movie without that blue hair and like without just like the general palette of blueness
0: although there's well so there's one part where it's like a flashback to him in high school arguing with his parents about how he's not going to go to harvard Mm -hmm. and he's got like a ridiculously tall blue mohawk yeah but you can see it on his head like you can see the bald cap on his head yeah you can
1: and it also like the mohawk like bends once he's jumping around
0: And then I'm like, I don't know, maybe that was on purpose, like it's supposed to be funny, but like then if that's true, like it doesn't really fit into the movie that well. Oh, I think it
1: does. I think that there's like a lot lot of moments of levity and kind of absurdity and poking fun at the whole thing because it's not actually taking itself as seriously as it seems like it might be. And I actually really love that scene with his parents because they're you know they're like so understanding and like so open to like let him love do his, his thing <laughs> and his mom is amazing but the um I don't even know if I wrote it down but uh after he kind of like storms away um his parents are talking and they had been divorced and I don't know the dad just like because like, they they keep the same tone of voice where they're speaking like very gently and lovingly. And they're just trying says, so
0: hard to be
1: calm. Fuck you, honey. And they
0: they do a pretty good job. <laughs> they do yeah. a pretty good job. Yeah, Yeah. but when he's just like, fuck you, dear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know that guy's name, but it's the guy who played Shooter McGavin in Happy Gilmore. Oh, yeah. He's His in all dad. sorts
1: of stuff. Yeah. I also really... Um, love the scene of them talking in the car and it's like shot from all of these like different weird angles i really love the camera work and the editing on this because it's like a little i mean it's very like experimental and uncomfortable and like that's the point and i think that it like really works for the both like the format and the content of this movie but especially in that scene with them in the porsche
0: i don't remember noticing it there
1: Oh, well, there's at least one shot is like shooting down at them like through the sunroof, which mm-hmm. was pretty cool. And then there's like a few shots in the car and from
0: outside of the car. And yeah. So we got Sebo, we got Heroin Bob. Then we got Mike. hmm. Who... Baby Jason Siegel. Baby Jason Siegel. Who's like super preppy looking, but then yeah. just like is super violent. Yeah. Um. Um. Like but is strong,
1: but is going to go study botany so he can save the rainforest. I love that's yeah. my favorite. <laughs> like, there's so many good little details about these characters, and that one is perchance my favorite one in the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's he's like really mad about the rainforest, so he's going to study <laughs> botany to save the plants.
0: Um. And then there's who's the crazy guy with all the money? Oh, the drug dealer. What's his name?
1: Mm, I don't remember. He's got a name. Yeah,
0: but he's the drug dealer. You could just. Refer he, to I him like, as such. I like him a lot. Yeah. Um. That Why part is the part is just like super weird and like well acted? I like it. <laughs> yeah.
1: You mean the part in their ha- in at his house? Yeah. Where he's showing them like all of the all of his expensive stuff. shit that he's bought. I love the laser disc. And, he's... and then also he says something about the... Um, they have a real, like, spinal tap, these go to 11 moment on his waterbed. Because he's <laughs> like, you see, normal waterbeds, they make waves. But this one doesn't make waves.
0: <laughs> Mark, his name is Mark. Mark, yeah. Um, and he's, like, the old guy who's just, like, hanging around. And I do feel like like every scene kind of has that. Mm-hmm. You know, he gets mad when you call him old. Right. And then... Devin Sawa, as Sean, a high schooler, a high school punk who accidentally um does runs way too much acid breaks sprinkler. his sprinkler, yeah what he does way too much acid and it breaks his brain right he accidentally runs through a sprinkler with acid in his pocket and it seeps into his leg and he does all the acid and it breaks his brain um again, just like super sad, and then he goes mm-hmm. to like a mental institution, a mental institution. And then when he's released, he can't go home because when he was on acid, he, like, tried to stab his mom so she won't let him back home, which is, like, super sad. Yeah,
1: and then uh, Stevo and his girlfriend kind of encounter him on the street and, like, further down the line and and see that he's still, like, really uh, not in a great place. And it it also forces Stevo to kind of confront his... Uh, own discomfort with poverty and uh, that sort of thing which is an interesting kind of character development moment for him I think
0: well with with the poverty for sure but also with the fact that like maybe there are consequences to Mm. the things that he and his friends are doing and maybe those are consequences that he's actually not super into Mm mm-hmm um, so then there's it's uh, gross it's just another movie where the women just like exist on the periphery
1: yeah but it's not as, as bad as most of the other movies where this happens I feel like those two characters <laughs> I want way more of them like especially
0: they're, um, ki- they're not developed though they're not developed like the other characters are
1: well no because they don't they're just not there long enough for that to happen but
0: but like neither but like they give they give sean the a whole scene for yeah like like, because it's because i guess it serves the protagonist Mm -hmm. in the end or whatever like to have that storyline but so could any of the stories with the women and they don't really use that that's true Besides Bye. the fact that Summer Phoenix wanders in for one day and changes his life or whatever.
1: Oh, I didn't realize that was her. Interesting. Um, but also Trish has amazing wigs and I just, yes. you know, want to uh,
0: just shout out her amazing wigs. They're very cool. I really want that purple one, like the late purple. Yeah, but it's like they just like they make her like a cartoon almost, you know? Yeah, kind of. Like Definitely she, she does the I same mean, thing. Like she walks in and like kind of She's, she saves Bob or whatever. Right. Manic you know? Pixie Dream Girl kind like, of thing. Yeah. And I also don't like they, they use this language and Matthew Lillard actually points it out kind of at one point and then like goes back on it. Like they use this language around relationships of like belonging to each other mm-hmm. in a way That I don't like.
1: Yeah, that's a a fair criticism. But, um, yeah, that kind of gets like dismantled, though, when he has to confront uh, the, I don't know. Sorry, my head hurts. I'm having a hard time (laughs) forming sentences. Let's keep going. I'm not going to try and finish that one that I just started. (laughs)
0: Okay. I just think they use like a very, like a very simplistic view on relationships, which like mm-hmm. maybe is accurate. You know, they're like twenty-three-year-old yeah. dudes. Yes. Um. But yeah, eh, whatever. It's nothing, oh. new. it's nothing we haven't seen before. Yeah. No.
1: What I was gonna say is that as far as like language around belonging to someone, like Bob literally sells himself to Trish, to Trish
0: for thirty-six dollars. Yeah.
1: So, I I don't think that, like, because um, when Matthew Lillard's character walks in on uh, his girlfriend ish, whatever, uh, having sex with somebody else, like, he says something to the effect of, like, they had an agreement, and, like, which sounds like maybe they had some sort of, like, non monogamy thing going on or whatever. Um, But then he is confronted with uh this like reflex of jealousy yeah like like, he doesn't even understand what that actually is right um so i think it's just it's more complicated than what we would normally see
0: i well yeah and so i also just think so then at the end of the movie trish is like you have to meet my friend brandy so we go they go to a party at brandy's house he meets brandy and he's, like, and just like that, like, with one smile, like, I was hers. Oh, like, I think that's just the laziest way you can change a character. I just, like, do you know anyone that that's happened to? Like, is that, like, like in my experience, like, that just um, so is so... I fun. know
1: people for whom they think that has happened, you yeah. know? But that's not necessarily, you know... uh, like your life isn't changed simply by seeing a person for the first time. Like, right? If if you think that that's the case, like you are projecting a lot on that person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And people well, definitely and do hate, that. Like,
0: I just hate that that gets used in movies over and over and over and over again. Like to change a character's life. Yeah. They meet a romantic interest, you know, and not that that doesn't change your life. Like, of course it does
1: yeah but also a lot of
0: other things can change your life too
1: yes and I think to my point about like projecting a lot um, to that person like he was looking for an excuse for his life to change and like it's, it's not just that it's also obviously when heroin Bob dies like that's a real turning point for him um, but then also, like, he is like, oh, because then he has that conversation with her where she really just, like, calls him on all his bullshit. And she's like, you know, yeah. if you're, like, spending all this money on hair dye and clothes and, like, whatever, like, that's not, that's not rebellion. You know, like, true rebellion's in the mind, man. Um, yeah. Like, he he needed an excuse, and she just was that excuse for well, him.
0: Well, and it's, like, maybe she was just saying all the things that, like, he couldn't that he knew mm-hmm. to be true but like couldn't like say to himself yeah for sure but yeah I just think well it's, it's like dangerous territory to be like women we exist to change men's lives Well, let's yeah. help them let's save them <laughs> you know. yeah but you know it's true that is all we're here for yeah let's see I think we talked about that was all the characters, except for, uh, there's, uh, there's the blonde guy who's not gay.
1: Oh, yeah. Which is a really interesting conversation that they have in that car, um, because... He, people call him gay all the time. And he's like, I'm not gay. I know I'm not gay. The girls know I'm not gay. It's like not, I don't care what they call me. And then heroin Bob is like, well, I would get like upset if somebody called me something that I wasn't. And he makes the point of saying like, it's, the problem isn't that they're calling me gay. Like the problem isn't that they're giving you shit for being gay. The problem is like, they're giving you shit. Yeah. Uh, Which I think even though they then proceed to call each other fags, uh, (laughs) is very uncommon for a movie either made at the time when this was made or set at the time that it was set, you know. It's not great, but it's better than most of the other stuff that was happening at that time.
0: Yeah, so that actor, this doesn't mean anything to me because I'm not a musical theater person, but that actor Mm -hmm. originated one of the roles in Rent. Oh, interesting. So I feel like musical theater people probably know him. Yeah, well. probably. And this was, I think, the first movie that he was in. This was his first movie role. Interesting. And then I think he was in the Rent movie also. Oh, okay. I have so not then the seen only that. other character who shows up. No, there's actually two more. So, John the Mod. Okay. Who I feel yeah. like probably at some point had a bigger role in the movie and got cut out. Yeah, that's possible. Cause he's like introduced as one, like at one of the parties as someone and he kind of shows up a couple times, but like, isn't really anyone. And then what?
1: Yeah. No, I, I think his character is just like, I think first of all, you're right. But also I think his character is just there to show that like some people do move within the, tri- like from tribe to tribe, you know, and that like not everyone is as, as segregated into their own little pods
0: as. Yeah the majority. And then there's the girl who stops taking her medication. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. What's her name? Christina? Is that her name? Mm. I cannot remember her name. But I, I feel like that part of the... Like, so we meet her and Matthew Steve. Her name is Jennifer. What? Jennifer. Yeah. So, Steve-O is like, she's amazing, she's beautiful, blah blah blah. You do not want to meet her when she's off her medication. And then we go to a party at her house later and she is off her medication. And she's just, like, talking nonsense.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I feel like, have you ever, like, had the experience of ending up at a party or, like, something like that where you're, like, how did I get here and what is oh, this? Yeah. Yeah, that, I feel time. like that's that scene. Okay. Um because like Steve O finds himself at this party that's just like not cool. Well like, he just
1: says like there was something about the vibe that night, like that just felt really off. hmm You know? Not that necessarily it was the setting or the people who were there. It was just this configuration of circumstances that Made weird vibes, and like if somebody is there, who I mean, it, it seems to me like this girl probably has bipolar disorder, and she's like extremely manic and off of her medication. Mm-hmm. Like that's gonna it's gonna stoke some some weird vibes at a party. But that's the night that heroin Bob dies, right? Because he has a headache, and somebody gives him a a fistful of pills and tells them that they tells him that they're vitamins.
0: Yeah. Why does he just take them? He doesn't do
1: drugs. Why does he take them that night? Uh, they had just come from his father's house.
0: Oh, yeah. It was right after they went to his dad's house. Yeah. That's right.
1: And, like, normally, he's not entirely straight edge because he drinks a what bunch. Drinks? But that's the only thing that he'll do. And he, like, rails against drugs usually. So um, that's the, uh, I guess, irony of the film is that he's the one who dies from a drug overdose, even though he was the guy who didn't do drugs, which is so sad. It's but so sad when he dies. there is a sequel to SLC Punk, which I have not seen yet, um, that came out in like 2014, maybe? 2016. Okay, yeah, and he's actually in that. I think that, like, in that movie, he kind of serves the role of not necessarily being the main character as he's Matthew narrator, Lloyd is though. in this one, but he is the narrator, yeah. I, w- I watched the trailer. Yeah. It actually looked interesting. I think I might watch that tonight.
0: I'd be curious, like, I don't know, to me, it just sounds like one of those things, and I'm like, we didn't need this, and no one was asking for it. Yeah. But, like, sure. I don't know. Maybe it's fine.
1: Yeah. Um, The scene where Steve-O finds Bob dead, um, he... Uh Matthew Lillard said that he could only do the scene um like basically alone just with like the I guess the camera people and the sound people, and that was it um and like even the director left the room for it, and that uh he that crying reaction was from him like conjuring up memories of his father, and it's like so intense, not oh, only is there is. like the characteristic lillard forehead vein. And spittle, there's also snot, like, it's, like, f- so intense, and that whole thing was a single take, he just did it in ten minutes, and then they cut it together, which I think is pretty incredible.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, like, for all the, for all the things that, like, maybe, like, this movie doesn't have, like, the main cast, like, they do pretty good acting, like, he's yeah. good in this, and Herman Bob is good in this. Yeah. I
1: I love heroin bob. He's a real cult figure. Um but I like especially love Love Struck Heroin Bob where he starts like getting all philosophical, <laughs> you know? Um like the the way that his manner kind of changes as he like softens up, I think is really really sweet. Um but the actor that played him said um that uh, Bob's really the immortal one because he's always Bob. Steve-O grows up, everybody grows up, and forever Bob is just Bob. I've had a lot (laughs) of people tell me how much Bob meant to them because of that. He is just a symbol of that. Especially people that were into punk and are now older, he's the punk Jesus or the punk James Dean or whatever. Did you know that there's actually a Church of Latter-day Bob out there? I'm pretty sure I saw it on Facebook somewhere. And then um, in... uh, the person who wrote this article added, it's actually a meme page for fans of the film called The Church of and Bob of Latter-day Punk, not a real church. Um, but he says that whenever somebody sends me a message on social media they send, and they send it to Bob, he always answers as Bob, the wise one, and gives them blessings and things from the beyond, which
0: I think is really sweet. There is also talk of a third one of these coming out. Okay. Well no one asked for that. Which again, just like yeah. Who like we don't need it. There was he, I think it was the article that you sent me. I didn't finish reading the whole thing. At, it's <laughs> at the very end. There's like oh, okay. a whole plot for the third movie that the director or someone is talking about. And it's 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 a Steve O movie though. Okay. Where he like didn't become a lawyer and Mark is back and just like See, I, I feel whatever. like Steve
1: O probably like fucked off to Silicon Valley and like became like a tech billionaire instead.
0: <laughs> you, you know what that. I mean? Because sure. I was thinking about
1: that. I was like, who who would this guy be today? And um he's actually he had he had a few episode run on Halt and Catch Fire, which is kind of like it's a, a wonderful T V show that is um kinda like Mad Men but about computers in the 80s like late 70s and 80s instead of being about you know advertising um and i i feel like you know it's 1985 when this movie takes place like he for sure like if like for sure at some point, probably it was like part of the dot-com boom you know maybe he mm-hmm. started pets.com or something who knows but <laughs> i could definitely see him you know like, some sort of crossover universe with hackers.
0: I feel like he would have, like, gotten in on it real early, created mm-hmm. something, and then sold it for a bunch of money, and then, like, just went off to do, like, whatever after that, right. you know? hmm And then probably eventually
1: came back because he got bored. <laughs> and then started some other stupid company that's ruining our lives. Um... Oh, his tongue makes an appearance exactly halfway through the movie. (laughs) Uh, We talked about the tongue
0: in the last episode. He uses it less in this for sure, though. He definitely
1: does, but it's when they go to Wyoming to buy alcohol, and the people in the liquor store are Nazi sympathizers, basically, and they're talking about how they are waiting for Uh, the antichrist and for jesus to return and all that stuff and that the i don't know and they like you know pull this whole devil thing and he sticks his tongue out and shakes his head and then they run out to the car um and because he mooned the people his pants are still like down around his ankles as they're (laughs) running which i hadn't noticed before and made me laugh real hard this time
0: it's it's fun to read some of his interviews like from from now or around now mm-hmm. now that he's older because he'll he's basically just like yeah i was just going for it real hard <laughs> when <I was> young. <laughs> i'm like you could see that yeah um and it's like part of what makes him really fun but it is also pretty over the top yeah um and also like it. fun to hear him talk about how he had to, if he wanted to keep working, like kind of transition from that into mm-hmm. like an adult actor, yeah. Um, even though he's still kind of a character actor,
1: yeah. Well, I watched a bunch of his other movies, uh, okay. I watched three other <laughs> movies of his, and one of them, uh, which came out in 2014 called Match, was really interesting because he's definitely a grown up in that one. Um, it's Uh, It had been adapted from a stage play and you can tell because there's only like three people in the movie and it all takes place like in one room. But um, that was interesting. It's called Match and it stars him as uh, a cop who uh, is having a difficult time dealing with grief over the loss of his mother Um, who had been a dancer in the 60s, and he and his wife have come to New York City to ostensibly to interview this dancer, uh, a dance teacher, for his wife's Ph.D. thesis, but it turns out the real reason that they're there to interview him is to find out if this guy is his father. Um, And it's, it's okay. It was not great. I mean everyone in it is like doing great work, but it's just really dragged ass as a movie because it just felt so much like a stage play. But um he's like very serious in it and like pretty soft spoken, very quiet, except for like this one scene where he gets really intense and the the um the forehead vein pops out. <laughs> Uh, And then I also watched Serial Mom from 1994, which was his first movie, which I did not realize was directed by John Waters, who I love Mm -hmm. and who is such a a cultural treasure. Um, And that one's great. He plays the son of Kathleen Turner, who turns out to be a serial killer. It's very campy and ridiculous and wonderful. Highly recommend. And then the third... One that I watched was Dead Man's Curve, uh, which also came out in 1998. In the United States, it actually came out as The Curve because it turns out that in 1998, there were actually two movies uh, about uh, college roommates who, through the, the suicide of the roommate, are oh, able to get a 4.0 was... GPA.
0: The other one was Dead Man on Campus and Mark Paul Gossler was in it. That was like exactly. his comeback movie.
1: I didn't realize that there were two different movies. I thought that Dead Man's Curve was Dead Man on Campus, so I was very disappointed. I mean, oh, I don't know. I saw
0: Dead Man on Campus when it came Yeah, out. I don't
1: think it's that good, but... I'm sure it's um, not. Dead Man's Curve had one-fourteenth the budget that Dead Man on Campus did. Also, <laughs> uh, Gail Ann Hurd produced... Uh, Dead Man on Campus, and she's produced so many wonderful movies, including like uh, Aliens, and uh, the Terminator movies, and so many like really good movies, and it also was edited by Deborah Chiat I'm not sure how you pronounce her last name but that is uh, Amy Heckerling's preferred editor, so I'm assuming mm-hmm. that that movie is better than Dead Man's Curve because Dead Man's Curve is ter- I mean, terrible Dead Man on Campus
0: was Cute when I saw it, you know, when I was fourteen or something, yeah, it would probably be very problematic
1: now, like a hundred percent definitely problematic um but dead man's curve, I mean, like everyone in it is just a terrible person, you know <laughs> the movie is terrible, everyone has terrible goals, um, but <laughs> Carrie Russell is in it, and she has her like gorgeous, long waist length curly hair in it. And that's the only redeeming quality. But that was interesting. It was interesting to see like how many movies and how many movies he's played um, like a psychopath or psychopath-adjacent person. <laughs> uh, a lot of murder in this career. But I tried to uh, find the first Scooby-Doo movie, but it is not streaming anywhere. So. Really? Yeah. The second one is, but not the first one. But it was just like an interesting uh, sample of his career. Speaking of somebody who sold out, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, I don't hold anyone accountable for having sold out because I feel like this is like a really fundamental difference between our generation and like Gen X or whatever, like the couple previous generations, and that like our generation is like, yes where do I sign? I would like to sell out, please. I have a personal brand, like, you know, whatever. And it's like, yeah, of course we're selling out. Um, So I was just joking about him selling out, doing Scooby Doo.
0: I'm, I'm happy for him. Glad he's working. I mean, that's probably where all of his money comes from still. Mm -hmm. So,
1: but I did still love this movie. I really enjoy it. Um, I just think it's like an interesting piece of experimental filmmaking. I mean, it's not that experimental, but um, it has this kind of mixed media feel to it. because uh, there's like all these little montages, and then there's that like slideshow segment
0: See, about fighting. I don't think they did a good job at a lot of those. like okay, if, uh, like it felt like like I'm thinking specifically of they're at the mall. Mm -hmm. And he goes on, like, some tangent when they're at the mall.
1: Yeah, the rant about uh, anarchy in the UK. And where punk rock started and all that stuff. Yeah.
0: Like, it just feels like they didn't know where to put it. And Mm -hmm. they were like, shrug, it goes here. (laughs) And it kind of... And there was, like, a few scenes like that where, like... Yeah. They didn't seem to fit, like, chronologically, but, like, Mm -hmm. they propelled the story, so someone was like, well, they have to go in the movie. I don't know. Yeah.
1: I mean, to me, this had, like, an almost, like, documentary feel to it, so it's, like, there's not really a story, really. Like, the story is, is just, like, this character arc, um and like there are these kind of vignettes and segments and like it's all kind of pasted together in like a way that it feels kind of DIY and punk rock to me. I like it.
0: Yeah. Although well, I
1: will say I think that like if I if the, if I had been a little bit older and it came out when I was like in my rebellious phase, I would think that this is I would probably have seen it and been like, "Oh, this is this is corporate and this is like this is poser shit or, like, whatever. Whereas, like, it already being a cultural artifact when, I like, when I came to it, like, I think that that has, like, a different... Um, it wound up being, like, a different kind of touchstone to me.
0: Well, and apparently the... So they, the music in it is really good. Like, they, they tried hard, I think, to represent a lot of different punk bands
1: although Um, i am deeply confused by the use of van halen's hot for teacher in the scene where they're at that party and the rednecks like storm in and start beating people up i just i I don't understand i don't understand why that song in particular it's not well appropriate to this story it's not appropriate to the movie, really, like I'm not sure if they put that there because of the way it sounds because it has that like great like it does have a good like engine revving with what's sounding, happening. yeah, but um I don't I just like both times that I watched this recently, I'm like, okay, but
0: why hot for teacher? <laughs> I need to know no is that's it super... so there's so the in the interview that you sent me, the music director didn't mention that but did mention so there's also a suicide Machines song um mm-hmm. that was like a new song in 1998 right um so that's like the only other song that like doesn't quite fit and mm-hmm. the reason that song ended up there is because the record label that the right. the cd was released on like pushed to have that song because the suicide machines were there band right so i wonder if it was just something weird like that where they were like yeah they wanted to use one song we need a song here and we can have this one Yeah. yeah
1: i don't know it's it's just so bizarre and then i was thinking like okay so here are these two disparate groups of people you have the punks you have the rednecks and van halen particularly van halen of that era i feel like is kind of the platonic idea of rock music platonic ideal of rock music you know whereas where they like where it appeals to everyone or at least I think that it appeals to everyone and I love it so much and like is that why they use this because like both of these groups could like get down to Van Halen I don't know
0: or because both of these groups would hate Van Halen but would they I don't know I don't like Van Halen how I, <laughs> I don't just, understand I just don't it Doesn't do oh. anything for me I
1: can't understand that at all it like i don't know i i feel like a something like a primal in my body
0: it's so good they're so good <laughs> um yeah i don't know i didn't i didn't notice that being weird at the time but you're right that is weird oh but what i was saying when i started this sentence um is that so they they had no money really when they made this mm-hmm. so they had to go basically just ask bands nicely if they could please use their music mm-hmm. for free basically um, and I can't remember which band it was but one like for real punk band was like eh we don't let anyone use our music and they were like no no no, please like watch the movie you'll like it so then they watched the movie and then they were like okay yeah actually good job and they let them use the music yeah So, real punks approve.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love that scene where they're, um, tripping on acid in the park. Uh, I mean, I, I I love a drug scene regardless, but, um, especially like once they, like, run up that ridge and Sandy is talking about, uh, beautiful things and, and says something about, like, look, it's so beautiful. And then behind her, it looks like a, um, like, a nuclear bomb mm-hmm. is detonating or something. And that's actual footage from Terminator 2, Judgment Day. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. I love her character, and I really wish that she was in the movie a lot more.
0: Yeah, I wish we knew more about her.
1: Yeah. Like, I love when they go see Bob at the hospital, and he's like, they named a disease after me. And she's like, you are a disease. <laughs> like, she's so quiet uh, and, like... uh I was always saying things that are like really funny, but you can kind of like barely hear her. Mm-hmm. Also, she has great lipstick, and I wish I knew what kind it was. Just, like really good red lipstick. <laughs> I also love that scene out on the salt flats with Harrow and Bob and Steve O and Trish. Yeah. That's just like very minimal.
0: It's beautiful. Yeah, and they're just, like, standing, and it's, like, they're, like, kind of in a fog. hmm Did you name I, all the Matthew Lillard movies that you watched?
1: Oh, uh, I, I guess the only one I didn't mention was Hackers, but I, lo- I watched that last month. So, yeah. It feels like I watched a lot more <laughs> than I did. Um, I did also watch uh, the other two Scream movies that I hadn't seen, and all four of them are amazing they are so good all of them really yes to the end they're good yes wow because uh one two and three were always part of the plan like we Mm -hmm. talked about last time that kevin williamson had written five page treatments of the second and third movie along with the the first movie so um like the, the way that, that the first movie kind of talks about, you know, these genre conventions of horror movies in particular slasher films. Um, and then the second movie is about like sequel tropes and like Jamie Kennedy has a whole, like, there are rules about this thing again. And then in the third movie, they're talking about all the tropes of it, of the third movie in a trilogy, um, So it's really interesting. The other really interesting about the third movie is that they're on set of Stab 3, which is the movie within the movie (laughs) that is Scream. So it's like especially meta. But the producer of that movie, um, it turns out is the sexual predator and there's this whole kind of subplot about that and links in with sydney prescott's mother and like all of this stuff that's really interesting um particularly in a miramax film you know knowing what we know ab- now about harvey weinstein i think it's really yeah interesting that they slipped that in there and it like adds to kind of like for me adds another like layer of horror on top of the horror movie which mm-hmm. is interesting and then the the fourth movie so the third movie they made that in 2000 and then they didn't make the fourth movie until like 2012 i think as part of like the big wave of horror remo- remakes and reboots um and in that, they're talking about the genre conventions of a remake. So it's like, and it's I don't know. I just I thought they were all great. All of them are directed by Wes Craven. All but the third one are written by Kevin Williamson. He did not write that screenplay, but um, yeah, they're great. So I watched like all four of them in two days, which That's I a don't weird recommend. State of mind. Yeah, a lot of
0: a lot of murder. <laughs> a Lot of murder. Mm, well, I didn't watch anything that really relates to our podcast, but you know what I did watch? What did you watch? Russian Doll. Oh my god. Did you How watch good it? Is it?
1: I watched it entirely in one sitting. It's so it was good. so
0: easy to watch fast. That's I mean, that's part of why it's good.
1: Yeah. It's incredible. And I need to watch it like a hundred more times because it's doing so many different things on so many different levels. Yeah. And also just feels like they made this for me like it's so relevant to my interests in like every way that i was just like holy shit this feels like it was like specifically made for me in particular but what's incredible is that it has this like apparently mass appeal too which is kind of cool which just goes to show you that the more specific you get the more universal
0: but that's just because it's good well also
1: yeah it helps if it's good like it's just good it's well done
0: (laughs) yeah and like in the end like that matters a lot like no matter what story you can tell a story about anything if you do a good job at it people will like it Mm Mm-hmm. not just the people who you think that it is specifically made for
1: yeah but it's so bizarre that i that it could have it could have gone really wrong and they really nailed it
0: I don't know if I like the ending, but I think I might feel differently if I watch it again.
1: Yeah, I honestly don't remember how it ends. Oh, yes, I do. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I found the ending really satisfying. Um, whether I like it or not kind of doesn't matter to me, but I, I did find it satisfying. And that it like, it felt like, like I didn't have any unanswered questions that were annoying me or like feel like no yeah i guess like they ties it up they like bailed you know they were like oh this is an easy way for it to end and just like did a thing you know um yeah i really loved it everyone in it is so good so good and i oh i'm like really trying so hard not to cut curly bangs but like I came close while I was watching No,
0: it. her hair is doing a thing that nobody else's hair can do. I
1: know. I know. It, that is not the kind of hair that I have. I have a completely different curl pattern. I know. I know. But it's so tempting. Especially because it's all been, like, in my face lately.
0: No, your hair is not going to do that. You won't be happy that you did that. I know. I know. Every day I will be mad. But it's very tempting. <laughs> I also started, but did not finish, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel.
1: Oh, yeah. Had you watched the first season?
0: No, I only made it halfway through the first season now. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't have I Amazon. I watched... Oh, I thought you did. No, I don't have Amazon. I was I was house-sitting in a house where she was ah. like, I'll leave it logged in, like, you can use it. <laughs> nice. But those episodes are so long, it's harder to binge-watch.
1: Yeah. And it's, they're so dense with, like, yeah. dialogue that is, like, a little bit exhausting. I watched the first couple episodes of the second season because I had already seen the first, um, and I didn't keep going because I just found myself kind of exhausted. But I'll get back to
0: it. I liked it a lot, though, and I got angry a lot, and also I laughed a lot, and also she's delightful. Mm-hmm. Just so many feelings and a lot of feelings. And also the costumes. I mean, those swing coats so that she has are
1: just absolutely unbelievable. And in the first season, I noticed in the second season that there's less of this. Um, but in the first season, the amount of flowers in the background of like every single shot is bonkers Mm -hmm. like especially like all of the uptown scenes the downtown scenes obviously have a very different feel and they're like more sparse for a reason Um, but all of the uptown scenes like literally every fucking camera angle there's this elaborate floral arrangement in the background although I did happen to notice that they they use some um, flowers and greenery in those arrangements that I don't think would have been commercially available at that point in time (laughs) but I let it slide
0: yeah, the, it's really beautiful.
1: Oh, I finally saw um, Sorry to Bother You.
0: Have you seen oh, that? Oh, I have seen it. That was really good. I. It's one of those movies that you're, like, I just, like, have never seen anything else like it. Yeah. And probably never will again. Yeah.
1: It's, like, really um, special that way. I think we're going to see a lot of movies that try, too to be like it but don't quite accomplish it and that's why i mean i had that feeling kind of about russian doll too That i was like this is just not this is not
0: normal and i like it for that reason um it's like one of those movies that if you described what it was about to someone like you would stop halfway through and just be like never mind i sound like a crazy person you just have to see it yeah for sure
1: Um, I think that that kind of does it, though, for this episode. I wish my brain was more on and functional today, uh, because I really loved this movie. I don't feel like I gave it, I did it justice, but, um, oh well, you know. Uh, if people wanted to find you, Jordan, where should they look?
0: I am on Instagram, at pc.
1: Uh, I am on Instagram at bimps, B-I-M-P-S-E. You can find us and all things Cage Club Podcast Network related at cageclub.me. Find us on Instagram at wistfulpod, on Twitter at wistfulpod. And um, I guess we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.